0: Thank you for leading us. Praise team. While the praise team is headed down, I want to take just a moment to introduce you to Jan Sanders. Now, many of you know Jan. She has been a member here at our church for 27 years. Her husband, Herb, I don't see him right now. He's probably out there waiting for you or something like that. So, Jan is a friend. She has a sweet spirit and a gentle heart and Uh, when Melissa, who was serving as our children's ministry associate, took the interim children's ministry position, uh, we didn't have an associate to help, and this is a really busy time of the year, so Melissa and I have been talking, can we bring someone, can we bring someone in to help for that that part-time role, just the associate position, And we landed on Jan Sanders. So if you've seen Jan serving in the children's ministry area, helping, she's been such a big help. We're so grateful to have you serving in that capacity for right now. And I just wanted you all, church, to know that this is Jan. Many of you do know her, but some of you don't. And she is in the interim children's ministry associate position, and we're so grateful to have you. Thank you. Well, please turn in your Bibles to Acts in chapter 27, if you will, Acts in chapter 27. Growing up, my parents didn't pay for cable TV, and that meant that we didn't watch much TV. Certainly, you we didn't get many channels, and today, if you don't have cable, there's all sorts of ways to get television to your house, but none of that was available when I was growing up. We lived in California, and where we lived in California meant that we could get some broadcast stations some of the time if you remembered the exact configuration of the rabbit ear antenna for those specific channels that you had, okay? That's how you would get any TV channels in my house. So rather than watch TV much, The TV was actually on, but we were watching different kind of movies, like VHS type movies, so Disney movies, musicals like Sound of Music or Thoroughly Modern Millie, or shows like Anne of Green Gables and Anne of Avonlea, and sometimes Shirley Temple movies. But I got to tell you, my favorite of all the movies that were ever shown at our house, and we oftentimes put it in because it had action and it had adventure and it had some mystery as well, was The Swiss Family Robinson. Now, many of you are familiar with that movie. Yes, raise your hand. You're familiar with that. Everyone. younger than me are like, why are you watching movies about chocolate milk or hot chocolate right now? But it wasn't about that. It was actually a great movie. And if you remember those movies, during those days, all the credits came at the very beginning of the movie, right? That's one of the greatest inventions of today. Like the credits come at the end of the movie. You don't have to watch five minutes of credits before you actually get into the movie. But you'll recall like those credits are coming on the screen and behind that there is this storm on the seas, there is this ship that's being tossed to and fro, there's, there's voices calling out for help and, and it's darkness and, and the wind is battering everything and it looks like a terrifying scene. You remember those pictures, right? Boat taking on water, the family trapped underneath, the unmanned helm at the mercy of the wind, the large rocks that were coming out of the water the ship would eventually get stuck on and then ultimately break apart over. You remember those pictures. They're ingrained in my head. When I read Acts 27, that's what I think about. I think that's the picture right there, the ship just being tossed and turned as Paul and his associates and the centurion and all the people are headed to Rome, headed to Italy where Paul will stand Before Caesar. This morning as we make our way through Acts 27, I want to bring up several points of application. And before we do that, I want us to stand together and honor the reading of God's word from Acts in chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. We'll read the first 20 verses to begin. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of the Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. By the way, when he says we there, he means he and Luke, and then this other associate as well. Verse 3, the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for and putting out to sea from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us and when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia we came to Myra and then Lycia there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on aboard we sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus and as the wind did not allow us to go further we sailed under the lee of Crete Off Somone, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives." But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a a temptationship to tempestuous wind called the Northeaster, struck down from the island. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Cotta. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Cirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along." Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest lay on us. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Let's pray together. Lord, your people are here today, and our desire is to hear from your spirit. So would you speak to us today? Would you draw us close to yourself, and would you change us by the power of your word? May we see you in your glory. May we live for you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, let me, again, just say thank you uh, to Tim Sperduto as he preached last week from Acts 26. I know that you were edified uh, through that time together. I watched the service afterwards online. Everything was great last week. Wonderful, wonderful worship, singing, praise time, great sermon. So grateful for the staff that God is assembling here. And you'll recall, based on Acts chapter 26, that after Paul gave his defense before King Agrippa... Paul would have been set free if he had not appealed to the Caesar. In fact, everyone who has stood in authority over Paul uh, has said, look, we don't see anything that this guy would deserve death. We don't know why he's in prison. If he hadn't appealed to the Caesar, he would have been set free. So after two years in jail, they're about to begin this journey to Italy. The time had come Paul was gonna be on his way to stand before the Caesar. So Paul and two of his friends, we know Luke and then Aristarchus, along with some other prisoners under the custody of a certain centurion named Julius were taken to the harbor. And there Julius and his fellow Soldiers, They kind of put up their thumb and they're looking for a ship that's going in the same direction that they're going. And then they find one. They board this smaller vessel that's supposed to stay closer to the coastline of what is now Asia Minor as they head west going towards Italy. And two things stand out from those first six verses. The first one is this. Paul is treated well. He's not treated like he's a big threat. He's not this big criminal. No, he's treated well. In fact, the centurion allows Paul, when they, when they stop at different places, to go and to see his people and to get some goods. That was really important because those who would travel on those Those ships at that point, they had to provide for themselves, and that's what they were doing. Paul would go. He'd be cared for. He'd bring back some supplies, and they were on their way going to Italy. The second thing, which stands out to me, is that apparently the trip was taking too long for the likes of the centurion because at this point, they decide to change Vessels, So they aboard this second ship, verse 6, it's a ship from Alexandria, from Egypt, and these were the largest ships that were sailed in that day, and they often carried grain and then other cargo from Egypt all the way back to Italy where they would drop it off and that would provide food and so forth for everyone there in Rome and the other provinces. Now, later in the chapter, we're going to see that this ship was so big, it carried nearly 300 people. And we know that the ship would have been weighed down with all sorts of cargo and all those people, which was fine for smooth water sailing. However, what stands out in verses 7 and 8, as we read, was that the wind was now against them and that the trip had turned difficult Up until then, they were along the the coast of Asia Minor, but they would turn southwest and they would go to the island of Crete where they would anchor at a port called Fair Havens on the south side of the island. Now, Casey Flint and I were talking about this passage a few weeks ago and we both find it really ironic that they're at this port called Fair Havens but everything else in their life is about to turn down. It's about to go bad, right? It's not really a fair situation as they are about to continue to journey on. Now, the first point I wanna make this morning is this. In life, we are to be guided by wisdom, not pragmatism. In our lives, we should be guided by wisdom, not pragmatism. In verses 9 through 12, we're given some important details. Luke says that the journey, the voyage, had taken a long time and now was already past the fast. So he says there in verse 9, well, when he mentions the fast, he's talking about the day of atonement in Judaism. This would have corresponded with sometime in the early part of October, maybe even sometimes the late part of September. But here we are now in what we would call the early part of October, and we're past that. So that means it's post mid October on this journey and it was becoming more and more dangerous to make this journey. In fact, contemporary authors of the time would write that the sea is closed between the months of November and February. You just don't travel along that way because it's too treacherous. You don't know what's going to happen in those winter months. You don't know what you don't know what's going to take place and it is treacherous, it is perilous for anyone who would try. So there they are in fair havens, and Paul speaks up, and he says to the centurion and to the pilot or the captain, hey, let's stay put here. Let's not go any further. Uh, I I perceive that there's going to be danger. There's going to be trouble for the cargo and trouble for the ship and even risk of our own lives. We need to just stay here. However, as you see there in verse 11, Paul is overruled. And the decision is made to continue on, to go to the next place, to go to Phoenix, which is a harbor that's on the the western coast of Crete, the kind of the southwestern coast, and they said if we go there, they have two harbors, one that faces northwest and one that faces southwest, and, and this is a better place for us to be. This is a better, a better opportunity for us to go and we'll spend the winter there. However, I would also say that it wouldn't surprise me if they got there and they thought, you know what? With those two harbors facing different directions, if the winds come just right, then maybe we can make a sail for it. Maybe we could continue on the way. On the surface, friends, it seems like a little thing, right? They weren't traveling far. From Fair Havens to Phoenix was about 50 miles. It's all along the southern coast of Crete. It wasn't a big deal. But it's hard to imagine that the pilot and the owner weren't driven by a desire for profit to some degree. They wanted to be in the best possible position to manage the cargo and to get to Rome. They were driven by pragmatism here. Think about this. When we consider everything, what was the most important thing on that ship? It was the lives of the people. It was the lives of the people. And the apostle Paul was warning them, look, I perceive great danger, not only to the ship and to the cargo, but to our own very lives. Friends, Paul understood the value of life here. Pragmatism focuses on what works. But what simply works doesn't always square with what God's wisdom is. Pragmatism says if something works, then do it. Just focus on efficiency. Wisdom says there is a right way and there is a wrong way to go about something. And the ends don't justify the means. You can't get away from politics right now. You read any news article or watch any news on TV and it's all about politics right now, right? And for many politicians, and you know this, winning is all that matters, and this drives them to do whatever it takes to win, even engaging in unethical and immoral practices, right? Even lying, even slandering, whatever it takes, as long as I win, that's what matters. That's pragmatism. That's not wisdom. The same is true with just general leadership, right? Leading, a, leading a, a, an organization or a company, right? Right? There are ways to accomplish things that may be expedient but may not correspond to godly ethics and godly virtues. Friends, wisdom focuses on values that matter. Wisdom says I'm not going to go about meeting my goals in, or my purpose in a way that is displeasing to God. I'm going to go about meeting my goals and my purpose in a way that is pleasing to God, in a way that accords with righteousness, in a way that accords with truth. In our lives, friends, we are to be guided by wisdom and not merely pragmatism. And it's important then that we seek wisdom. It's important then that we make decisions that are based on wisdom, right? So this is true in all of life. Think about the way you raise a child. There are ways to get compliance from a child that are not based on wisdom, but could bring about compliance in the moment, right? Anyone ever ever bribed their child? Hey, hey, just just be quiet, I'll give you a piece of candy, okay? Hey, if you do this, then I'm gonna take you to the mall. Does that work? Well, maybe in the moment it works, but is that how we ought to parent? Is that what wisdom says we should raise and train children? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I made my point just, he just made my point, or she just made All right, so here's the thing, right? Like, let's be wise. Let's not focus on external behaviors. Let's focus on internal motivations, and let's focus on the heart in the way that we discipline. Or this could be true in business dealings, right? There are a lot of ways to make a profit. There are a lot of ways to seek advancement, and many are unethical. This is true of the way we invest our time. There are things that we can invest our time in that may be expedient or may get the job done quickly, but they may not be the most wise use of our time. Same is true with money. There may be ways to invest money or to spend money, but let's be wise in the way that we go about stewarding what God has entrusted to us. And here's the good news, friends. We're called to seek wisdom, and God promises that he gives wisdom. In fact, in James chapter one, verse five, God promises to give wisdom to anyone who asks. Anyone who desires wisdom and will seek after will implement it in their lives. God will give wisdom to. Now, he doesn't give wisdom to the double-minded. He doesn't give wisdom to people who will use it for their own personal gain. He gives wisdom to those who are humble before him and who seek him. That author of Proverbs says to cry that wisdom is crying out, and if we receive God's word and we incline our hearts to what God says, then wisdom will come into our hearts. So we have this great promise of God in Scripture that if we desire wisdom and we seek wisdom, then we're going to find wisdom. And let's let wisdom guard or guide our lives. But we have to be warned, church, because when we make decisions primarily with our own fleshly interests in mind, we are inviting disaster in our lives. That's actually what we see here. What was supposed to be a short trip from Fair Havens to Phoenix turned into a disaster. And verses 13 through 20 record for us a major turn of events, right? This wind, this northeastern wind came and it began to violently hit the boat. That's what it says there. They were driven along in this this wind came and literally attacked the ship, attacked the area. It was so bad that they had to begin throwing things overboard to lighten the ship because they were afraid that the ship was gonna sink as it took on so much water. And you know how this is. You watch any movie, if something really fearful or terrifying is gonna come, what happens to the, to the light in the room? Well, it goes away. It becomes dark. And here for several days, they saw not the sun or the stars, and it's not just the darkness that's scary, but now they have no idea where they are because they couldn't pull out their iPhone and look at their compass app, right? They had, to, they had to navigate by the sun or by the constellations in the sky and they had to see all this, but they couldn't see. So here they are in the middle of a storm and it is brokenness and the ship that they're on is breaking and they are lost. They don't know what to do. And the text tells us they had given up all hope that they were going to make it out okay. And just when they lost all hope, Paul speaks up. Look at verses 21 through 26. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart That's the second major point we see from this, that we're to thank God for his grace, right? Now, maybe with a little bit of I told you so, but very likely more just to command their attention, Paul says, look, this is what I said before. You need to listen to what I'm gonna say now. You need to hear what I'm about to say. And then he urges them to take heart, and he tells them that an angel of the God to whom he belongs and who he serves showed up, and he promised that there would be no loss of life But that Paul then would testify before Caesar. And what we've seen in our study of the book of Acts, and next week as we conclude our study of the book of Acts, we're going to see this again, the faithfulness of God, right? God is faithful. He does what he says he's going to do. At the very beginning, Jesus tells the disciples that that they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's what we've seen in this whole study of the book of Acts. And over the past several chapters, what we've seen is God telling Paul that he will get to Rome. Now there's been some, there's been some delays, right? But that's what's happening now. He's going there. In Paul's life, God had protected him. He had cared for him. He had reassured him. But let's just be honest for a minute. There they are in that ship and God could have gone to Paul or sent the angel to Paul and said, hey, Get Luke and Aristarchus and come on, I'm gonna take you over to Rome right now. And he could have just let that whole ship sink. And all those people who were sailing on that ship sink. All of them could have been lost at sea. But God, if he wanted to, could have protected Paul and his friends. He could have sent that angel and he could have instructed his friends to get on that rowboat, to go away, and I'm I'm gonna protect you as you make your own Way. But instead, God shows grace to everyone on that ship. He shows grace to the people who were in rebellion against God. He shows grace to people who had pledged their loyalty to false gods. He shows grace to those who loved the world and who were driven by materialism. He showed grace to those who were worshiping a pantheon of gods out there and, frankly, didn't even know who the one true and living God was. Was Friends, none of them deserved God's protection. None of them deserved God's grace. God could have let them all die in the middle of the sea because of their rejection of wisdom and their rejection of what they knew of the one true and living God through natural revelation. But instead, God protected them. He gave them more time to repent and to come to faith in Christ Jesus, that's God's grace. To the church at Rome, Paul would have written this letter probably around three years prior to this time. He writes, it's God's kindness that leads to repentance. And in the context here, kindness is understood as forbearance and patience, Romans chapter 2. Amy and I were talking about this text the other week. And she made the point that it's likely that the Apostle Paul was talking about Jesus during the whole voyage. However many weeks now they were on this ship together, it's likely that Paul was telling everyone he could about Jesus Christ because that's what he did. That's what we've seen from his whole life, living and speaking the gospel. Can't you see Paul and his friends walking the ship, making sure everyone heard the good news? Luke, Luke, you go below deck and talk to you with there. I'm going to go up to the crow's nest today. And I'm going to talk to, to them about Jesus. Aristarchus, please pray. Please pray because I'm going to the helm today. And I have opportunity to talk to the, to the captain. I have opportunity to talk to the owner today about Jesus. Will you pray? Can't you see that's what Paul was doing? We believe that's what he was doing. Because that's what he did in his entire life. And my bet is that when Paul told them that an angel of his God appeared. They had an idea of who his God was because Paul had already told them. He's the powerful creator, he's the sovereign master, he's the risen savior, he's the conquering king, he's the one true God. He's the God who loved the world and took on flesh. He's the God who lived a perfect life and died on a cross to atone for the sin of the world. He's the God who rose again on the third day. Don't miss this, friends. God was being gracious. And since God could have brought Paul to Rome in any number of ways that he could have chosen to do it that did not involve trouble on the seas, the question is, why did God do it this way? Now, none of us can give an exact answer for that, but let me just suggest that we need to recognize that our struggles may lead to someone's salvation. Our struggles may lead to someone else's salvation. The way that you trust in the Lord and seek him in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, is a testimony to the worth of our God. And I'm not saying, friends, that all struggles are equal. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not saying that difficulties aren't painful. But hear this. Your response to the difficulties that you face in life tells the world that you are either unsure of God's goodness and God's power or that you trust in God's goodness and power. The way that we seek the Lord and remain faithful in times of difficulty communicates something. It's a powerful testimony to the world. Right There are multiple examples in Scripture of how people, followers of God, followers of Christ, faithful people, in times of pressure, made an influence on the life of others. Think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Put in the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down. They wouldn't worship the God that Nebuchadnezzar had created. Thrown in the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar was an evil guy, right? He was, a, he was, a, he was an evil guy who had been judged by God for a long period of time. But after he sees the power of God in the salvation of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fourth one in the fire. He humbles himself and he worships God. And it's recorded for us in the book of Daniel, one of the most compelling testimonies of the glory of our God through Nebuchadnezzar. Or what about King Darius? After King Darius has Daniel thrown into the lion's den because Daniel continues to pray to his God, And Daniel is saved miraculously by the great God. King Darius also testifies to the truth of the living God. To the grandeur and the glory of the one true God. Or how about from the New Testament, the Philippian jailer. Who as a result of hearing and seeing Paul and Silas worship and praise God at midnight in the jail. And then in the aftermath of an earthquake that set them free. And all the prisoners and Paul and Silas could have just run clear marvels and says, what must I do to be saved? The way that you respond to difficulty and trial and struggle matters. And it communicates something about your trust in the one true and living God. Or it communicates that you're not really sure. You don't know if God is good. You don't know if he's able to get us through this difficulty. I mean, he got us through the last one, but this one, it's a big one. Can he do it? What are you communicating the way that missionaries persevere through persecution is a testimony of God's power. Friends, the way that church members remain faithful through the pain of cancer speaks volumes about the power of God and the hope that they have. When people offer forgiveness to those who have hurt them deeply, it's a reflection of God's amazing grace in our lives. When a spouse continues to follow God faithfully, even after the loss of a loved one, maybe a longtime mate, This is a testimony to God's goodness and God's grace and God's power and God's worth in our life. And here's the thing. We don't know who's watching. I mean, we know some people who are watching, but we don't know who's watching. And there could be people out there who are on the fence. They don't know if they trust in God. They don't know if they believe him. But they see your faithfulness. They see your love for the Lord they see your steady trust in the Lord even in the midst of struggle and trial and difficulty and that's attractive to them they begin to believe the gospel because of your testimony in life finally friends trust God's word alone for salvation Trust God's word alone for salvation. Let me read 27 through 32. When the 14th night, 14th night came and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Now, in the middle of the night, they're approaching land, right? They, they get the sense they're approaching land. They take out their equipment. They go through their process, and they find, yeah, they are approaching, and they're approaching quick, and they become very afraid that they're going to run ag- aground, and they're all going to die there. So they set some anchors. They wait for day to come so they can kind of know what's going on. But some of the crew members think they know what's best. So they act like they're going to set out some anchors, but what they're really trying to do is get on the lifeboat and get out of Dodge, right? They want to make their own way so, they, step, so they, they have this plan. But Paul steps in and says, look, don't let them do this. We can't be saved if this happens. We gotta be right here. God's with us, but they gotta be right here. See, they thought they knew the way. They thought they had the way. And isn't this even God's grace, friends? God's already told them, you're gonna come safely, just stay here. And now they want to, Venture off on their own. And it's God's grace that doesn't let them just go do that and find their own end in that way. Well, the centurion and the soldiers listen to Paul. They cut the ropes, the ship, go, the, the, the rowboat or the lifeboat goes off on its own, and there they are. Friends, this is hope. God's word tells us about rescue from death about escape from God's wrath and safety in Jesus Christ. And if we would trust the word of God, we would find eternal blessing. The world is always looking for answers. The world is always looking for life. The world is always looking for hope in things that cannot save. Money and power and fame and pleasure and religion and devotion and spirituality and tolerance and philosophy and you name it. And many of us in this room have tried it. But it doesn't lead to life. It doesn't lead to hope. But God's word says that true life and eternal life comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. in The finished work of Jesus Christ. The Proverbs say there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end its way is death. There is one way. Stop trying to make your own way. Humble yourself, confess your sin, and put your trust in Jesus. He is gracious and he is faithful, yet he will judge all those who seek life outside of him and outside of his word. Well, the chapter closes with the ship striking a reef and getting stuck and ultimately crashing, getting pounded by the waves and the wind. Even still, all 276 people on board make it to safety. They all make it to the shore, friends, God is faithful to his word. So let me ask you, will you make it to the safety of the eternal shore of God's presence? Only in Jesus, the one who lights the way, the one who is the way, will anyone make it to the shore of eternal life? Trust in him today. If you have questions about the gospel, in just a few moments, we're gonna have a time invitation and we'd love for you to come and connect with us about that very thing, the hope of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. There are some in here who just need prayer because you're going through a difficult time in life. I'm up here, the rest of our staff is up here. We'd love to pray with you. Maybe you wanna just pray with people that you're with right now. You wanna ask God for grace as you continue to seek him in the midst of what is a difficult season In your life. There may be some in this room who are just asking God to make you more passionate for the gospel. That you would have faith and you would have courage and boldness to speak and live the gospel. Maybe there's some in here who want to be baptized. You're ready to be baptized, you want to tell the church that, or you want to join this church, we want to celebrate with you. I'm convinced that God is working in lives of the members of this church. How's he working in your life? And will you humble yourself? We rejoice in what he's doing. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for these moments together. Thank you that as, as your church is gathered, you have been with us. You've been here, you've been speaking, you've been in our own lives, in our own hearts. In your way, you have been communicating to us. And we pray that through the power of your word, you would change us. God, would you do a great work in our lives as we reflect on your word, as we reflect on Jesus and the salvation that's found in him, even as we sing this song, we pray that we would glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, please stand and respond as God leads in your life.